Today we are celebrating Easter. We are celebrating the, the, the resurrection of Jesus the, and the hope of new life that comes in that. As we do that, I want us to start with a scripture passage from the book of Romans, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 14. This is what it says. This is Paul speaking, and he's speaking to us about the cross and about the resurrection, and why is this so significant to us? We know it was, it was great for Jesus, you know, he was no longer dead, good for him, but what does that mean for us? Why is this so important? Why is this worth celebrating? This is what Paul says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace." Now, I think some of you saw this up here and thought, I've seen this before, Brian. Are you starting to repeat? The answer is, I always repeat. And when we get it perfect, I'll stop. But no, I, I wanted to just start with a, a bit of a visual image. And for those of you who have seen this, then you know it already perfectly, but for those of you who haven't, this might just be a little bit helpful. The idea is this. When we were born, we were born into a sinful nature. That was just one of the benefits of having ancestors who rebelled against God. It's kind of like this hereditary thing that we also inherit, a disobedient heart to God. And so we are born into Adam. This winky face, it's you. We're born into Adam. That's how Paul classifies it. What it means is that everything that you can say about Adam 
is true about you. So Adam was disobedient to God, and so we are disobedient to God. Adam was separated from God, so we were separated from God. Adam was a slave to sin, therefore we became slaves to sin. And so what was true of Adam is true of us. God didn't want to leave us there and enter Jesus. Jesus comes to earth, he goes to the cross, he rises again, and in that moment, he allows something even more amazing, I would suggest, even more amazing than the resurrection to happen. Because Jesus took on everything that was true of Adam on the cross, Jesus became like you or me on the cross. He took on our sin. He took on our guilt. He took on the consequence of our disobedience. He was separated from God. I think that is the most amazing part of the cross, personally. Jesus, the second part of the Trinity, for the first time in eternity was separated from the Father. I believe that that is why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, he took on our sin. And when he takes on our sin, he's separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. That would have been more painful than the nails on in his wrists, more painful than the splintered wood that was shredding his back. That abandonment. And yet that was what we deserved. And Jesus took on what we deserved. And he died, and then he rose again. But what is even more amazing than his resurrection is that because he took on what we deserve... He invites us to take on what he deserves. He invites us to become in Christ. He invites us to take on the righteousness that we don't deserve, but that he does. He invites us to take on the forgiveness that we don't deserve. He invites us to take on the relationship with God that had been broken. We can be forgiven and pure and righteous in the eyes of the Father. We are adopted as children of God. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free in Christ. We are made alive in Christ. We have hope of one day being raised with Christ at the resurrection of the dead, all because he allows us to switch bowls. On the cross... When Jesus takes on our sin, he opens the gate to allow us to become in Christ. And when we are in Christ, everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of us. So how does this work? Because, frankly, it doesn't make sense, does it? You're kind of waiting for me to say, April Fool's. But I'm not. Instead, let me just take a few minutes and go through what happens 
What Paul was talking about, it was a bit of a convoluted scripture there. What Paul was talking about in what happens to us when we choose Jesus. When we choose to accept what Jesus did on the cross for us. This is what happens. Number one, we are crucified with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. This is what Paul says. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul continues in Romans 6, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You see, the idea here is that before, when we were in Adam, we were slaves to sin. We were enslaved, whether we knew it or not, by the devil, and he could tempt us, and we would dutifully obey. This was simply part of that sin nature that we had inherited. But on the cross... Jesus defeats sin and death and the devil. And he frees us from the hold of sin. And so we are no longer enslaved to our sin nature. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we crucify with Jesus the works of sin in our lives, which Paul calls the flesh. And he says it here in Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, he's not talking about the organ that goes around our body. He's not talking about that flesh. What he's talking about here is the way that we used to live in a sinful way. The the, the way that we used to, to, to live our lives for ourselves. The way that we used to live our lives for worldly pleasures. That's the idea that he's talking about here. And so on the cross, when Jesus dies, our flesh, our sinfulness, that sinful nature that we were bound to, that we were enslaved in, is crucified with Christ. What that means is, is that it no longer has power in our lives. Crucifixion is one of the most powerless, most defeating stances You are nailed to a beam through your wrists and through your feet. And you have to pull yourself up for every single breath that you want to take until you die. Tearing flesh more and more. It's horrible. Absolutely torturous. Anyone who was crucified had no power at all. And so when he talks about crucifying our old self or our sinful nature or our flesh, he's saying they are powerless now. We do not need to listen to that sinful nature. We don't need to listen to the devil in our lives anymore. Now we may still live in a way that gratifies our flesh or our sinful desires, We still have that freedom. We still have that ability to choose to live in that way. But as Christians, we don't need 
to listen to that. We don't need to obey those desires anymore because they've been crucified with Christ. Second thing that happens, crucifixion, it ends in death. In the same way, when we move from Adam to Christ, we move there through death. We die with Christ. We die with Christ. We are crucified with Christ, then we die with Christ. Paul says in Romans 6, Or don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Continues on, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself dead to that sin. Colossians 3, 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Romans 6, 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now again, folks, obviously we're not talking about a physical, literal death here. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have moved from Adam to Christ, and you did not have to physically die. You are still here. But in doing that, something died. Something died. You can't switch bowls without death. And so, if it's not a physical, literal death, what is it? Well, Paul tells us that it is a death to ourselves. We are asked, how do we die? Jesus was asked, how do I follow you, Jesus? How do I follow you? And what was his answer? He said, anyone who wants to follow me should take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In other words, Jesus is telling us that the death that we die is a death to ourselves. It's a daily sacrifice. It's a daily sacrifice of our own control, of our own plans, of our own lordship on our lives. You see, in some way, when we are in Adam, we at least at least feel like we are in control. We want to be in control of our lives. And so we work really, really hard to keep everything together. And we sit on the throne of our lives and we make whatever decisions we need to make in our lives. But when we crucify our sinful nature... When we die to ourselves and we move over to being in Christ, how we do that is we allow Christ to be Lord of our lives now. That Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of our lives. It's not a big throne. There's not enough room for two bums. You and Jesus can't sit on the same throne. And the amazing thing is that Jesus is such a gentleman that he will allow you to kick him off the throne and you to sit back down. And so we daily need to surrender ourselves to him and say, God, I have a lot of things that I want to do today. I have a lot of stuff that I want to get done. This is how I want to live my life. This is how my future looks in my mind. But I recognize that when I'm in control, it doesn't work so well. 
I hurt myself, I hurt others. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to live with my self-control, so I just want to surrender, surrender that to you right now. I want you to be in control. Paul tells us in Romans 12:1 to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. The interesting thing about a living sacrifice, though, is that you can crawl off the altar at any time you want. And so we need to continue to get back up on that altar time and time again and surrender ourselves to him. So we are crucified with Christ. We die with Christ. We're then buried with Christ. At least scripture says that. Now, at a funeral, the important thing of a funeral, you can have a funeral without a lot of stuff. Right? You don't need flowers for a funeral. You don't really even need like participants for a funeral. But you do need death for a funeral. It is a mandatory part. And so when we die to ourselves, it's like there needs to be a funeral. Now, in a funeral, the death of the person is the most important part. But the funeral part still is interesting and still helpful because it is the public celebration of the deceased. In a similar way, Paul talks to us about being buried with Christ and that happening in our baptism. Because in baptism, we are celebrating that our old self has died and that our new self is raised with Christ. Romans 6, 4 says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Colossians 2.12 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And so, even though baptism is simply a symbol, it is a symbol of our burial with Christ. It's a symbol of that union with Christ. And so in believers' baptism, when we get those tanks out or when we go to the lake and we go into the water... One of the things that that we often will say as they go down into the water, we say, dying to self. And it's like putting them into the grave. Now, we don't leave them there too long. We bring them back up, and we say, in raising to new life in Jesus Christ. Now, physically, nothing really has changed except the person got a little wet. But it is a physical Response, it's a physical reminder of a spiritual reality that it happened when they came to Christ. Now, all of these things, all the things that we're talking about here, are happening instantaneously as we receive Jesus into our lives. The moment that you say, Jesus, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I ask that you would forgive me, that you would live for me. I surrender myself to you. Instantaneously, your old self is crucified with Christ. Instantaneously, you are dead to yourself. The third thing that happens instantaneously is this. We are made alive in Christ. It's amazing. We don't have to wait. 
We are then made alive in Christ. As, as we die to ourselves, we are made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 1-6 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what we used to be in Adam. But, that's a great but, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 11 says this, In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. With our sinful nature crucified, when we die to our own desires and our own control, Although that might seem pretty grim, at the same time, in a very real way, we are made alive in Christ. The Father puts the Holy Spirit in us, inside of us, third person of the Trinity, living in you when you move from Adam to Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you and produces life, abundant life, abundant life here and now. And that is an amazing thing. It's like you lived your life with a veil covering your eyes. And all of a sudden, the veil is removed. In the same way, when you move from death to life, when you move from Adam to Christ, the Holy Spirit makes you alive so that you can Enjoy life in a way that you had never before. Where you can have peace in the midst of horrible trials. Because Christ is with you in the Holy Spirit. Now those are the things that happen absolutely instantaneously. But also we are given a promise. We're given a promise. And this is what we often focus on Easter about. And this is the promise. That we will one day be resurrected with Christ. We will one day be resurrected with Christ. The promise is this, that this life is not the end. Some of you are starting to ramp up, and you're starting to see the exit sign. You know that this life is going to be done. I'm not looking at anyone. It could be me. You know that this life ends We know it by experience. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. One day, you will die. One day, people will come around you, and they will talk about your life, and they will put you into a, the grave, and then they'll go back and they'll eat potato salad. but it doesn't end there. And that is the promise that we have in Christ. That because Jesus rose from the dead, we too 
will be raised with him in glory. This is what it says. For if we have been united with him in death like this, if we have gone from Adam to Christ, then we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 1 Corinthians 15. In the church in Corinth, there was this idea that maybe there is no resurrection. Maybe the grave is the end. Maybe that's it. And so Paul talks about this and he, he, he writes them and he says this. If it has been preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, if Jesus was raised from the dead, why don't you believe that we too also will be raised? Now, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. It's a really interesting logical problem. You can't have one without the other. If Christ has been raised, then we too will be raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, then we won't be raised. So if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. You're wasting your time here on Sunday morning, Paul says. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ are lost. He says, folks, you got to make a choice. If you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then that promise is for you as well. If you don't believe that promise is for you, then Christ wasn't even raised. What's it going to be? If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He lays it on thick for them, doesn't he? But it's true. If this promise isn't true, if our lives will end in the grave, and that is it, then the whole rest of it doesn't matter. Then Jesus' death for us doesn't matter. Then our forgiveness of sins doesn't matter. But wait. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because Christ has been raised, we too have hope that one day we will be raised. This is the most loving thing that God has ever done for us. As I said before, he knew our situation in Adam. He knew our predicament. He knew there was nothing that we could do to get ourselves out of it. And so he came in Jesus to die on the cross so that our sinful nature could be done away with. 
He invites us to accept him as our Lord in our lives and to follow him. And when we do that, he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we don't have to follow him on our own, but that the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow him faithfully. And he tells us that that's not even enough for him. It's not even enough for him that we would have abundant life here on earth, but he wants to spend eternity with us as well. That is what the cross says to us today. The cross is empty because God loved you that much. The tomb is empty because God loved you that much. Today is a day to celebrate. For some of you, today is a day to make a decision. Because all the things that we just said can be yours if you want them. You can have new life in Christ. You can be raised even when you die. If you want Jesus to be Lord. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray. And if you are here today and you would like something different in your life, if you've been living your life with me and the controls, and you know that that doesn't work, then today must be the day. There won't be a better day to hand those controls over to Jesus. To invite him to be your Lord. So I'll just invite you to pray with me, just in your head, as we pray this. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I have been living with me in control. And it hasn't worked. I have hurt myself and I have hurt others. And Lord, I'm sorry for that. I don't want to continue to do that. Lord God, I pray that you would forgive me. And in this moment, I just turn my life over to you. I accept your love poured out on the cross for me. I accept that you love me that much. Fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit that I may walk with you and follow you. Help me, Lord, to trust and rest in your grace. I give you my life here on earth and, and after when I die. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.